Father, it is a privilege and an honor to come before you today, and we humble ourselves before you. Lord, and that you open our minds and hearts to receive your word. We give you praise and glory, and may we be a sweet aroma unto you, O Father. Holy Spirit, come down upon us with fire. <laughs> Lift our spirits, help us understand. Give us your gifts freely, Lord. And we accept them, and we thank you. And I ask that you speak through Sam today with authority, Lord, that you have given unto him, and that we, that we may receive your word, and that it will become a part of our mind, soul, and spirit, Lord, mm -hmm. and that we'll walk in your ways, and to do your will, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Karen, for praying. Hang on there, Jack. The we're, we're just getting started, buddy. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, Jesus sighed in his spirit, too. So, um, Okay. I have no introduction other than asking about the challenge, but let me ask you. Are we a people marked by God's power? Are we a people that are marked by God's grace? Sometimes we can be in a culture that talks so much about defeat. Defeats, being defeated, you know? I'm defeated in my sin. I'm defeated in my addiction. I'm, I'm always going to continue to be defeated. But when you read the book of Revelation, Jesus doesn't talk to his church that way. He says, to him who overcomes. Beloved, we need to rewrite how we think. Because what God has given us in Jesus, in his spirit, and in his gospel is of power. When Paul talks about um, some teachers that were overtaking the church at Corinth, he said, when I come, I will find out not the talk of these people, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not of talk, but of power. And as we see Acts, what we're going to see is God's powerful work in his church and that that cannot be overthrown. God's powerful working in and through his church cannot be overthrown. So as we're going through the story of Acts, we're seeing the Holy Spirit fill the disciples, the believers, and they are speaking with boldness and with power. Last Sunday, we looked at how uh, in chapter 4, Verse 31, it says, The place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Beloved, do you feel like you can be stopped so easily when it comes to opening your mouth to share about Jesus? I totally relate. I totally relate to the fear, to the, to the, the awkwardness of it. But there is a spirit who gives power. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Just as Chris shared, the Lord is with us and will provide as we walk in step and in submission to him. So we're going to read in Acts about God's powerful working in his church. But we're also going to see how Satan is trying to overthrow the church. 
Satan is trying to divert the church, and this is true today. So we're going to begin in Acts 4, starting in verse 32. This is after they've been filled with the Spirit to speak the word of boldness. We're going to see God's powerful work in the church. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. So one of the first things we see is there was a great unity in that early church. Okay, There was a great unity. Look at that description. The full number was one heart, one soul. Man. Wouldn't it be awesome to say that today? The full number of God's church. One heart, one soul. Now verse 33. Not just great unity, but great power and great grace. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we're seeing these marks of the early church. There was great unity, there was great power, and there was great grace. And the evidence of that grace that we see in the passage is generosity. There was this giving. There was this generousness to the early church. Where did the great power and the great grace come from? Anybody know? Why was there great power and great grace? Holy Spirit was there. Yes. Yeah. What else? I mean, he is the reason. Why is the Holy Spirit upon them so powerfully? Because of the resurrection of Christ. Yes. Because of the resurrection. Look, look what it says. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. One, one way that we experience the power of the Holy Spirit is we center on the main things. And when we center on the resurrection of Jesus, when we center on the good news about Jesus, there will be great power upon us. Okay, the Holy Spirit will come and he will bear witness and say, yes! And he'll bear witness with power and grace. Who's got um, 1 Corinthians 1.18? And then while he's getting that, who's got Romans 1.16? I have Romans. Okay, why don't you look up Romans 1.16? Steve is looking up Romans 1.18. Sword drill. Go. Oh, sorry. Who's got... Um, okay, Jeremiah. Sorry. Uh, Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved is the power of God. The preaching of the cross... Unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. God accompanies his power with the word of the cross. Um, go ahead and read yours. Okay, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. 
for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It says Paul writing at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is, why is he not ashamed of it? Because it is the power of God to save everyone who would believe. If you and I really believe that this word, this message about Jesus has the power to save, the better we grasp that, the more we will say as Paul, I'm not ashamed of this. You know what I mean? As we were talking about last Sunday, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved. Therefore, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now, notice it says that they were giving their testimony about the resurrection. A neat theme in Acts is it sometimes seems that there is more of an emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus than even the cross. Isn't that interesting? Um, Not that the cross isn't important, because even as we read, Paul said the word of the cross is to us being saved is the power of God. But primarily, they're talking about the resurrection. This Jesus who died, people died on crosses all the time in Rome. Okay, Rome put people to death every day on crosses. What was it unique is that this person was raised from the dead. This person was um, the son of God. And his cross, he was innocent, and his cross was atoning for the sins of the people. Therefore, God raised him from the dead. It is the resurrection that they are bearing witness to. Because of that, there was great power, but there was also great grace upon them all. What does the word grace mean? Somebody know? Undeserved favor. Yeah, that's a great definition. Undeserved favor. You want to experience God's undeserved favor? In your life? Well, you can't deserve it. So if you're trying to work for it, you can't have it. You get it? If it's undeserved favor and you're trying to work for God's favor, then you're not going to experience it. His grace. How do we access this undeserved favor? Just ask. Ask? Yes. Ask. His throne of grace and mercy for help in time of need. Yep. Uh, Romans 5 says that we access this grace by faith. By faith. When you come to Christ and you trust in him, he gives his grace. He gives his grace. As you trust in the Lord, he will give you sufficient grace. Are we marked as a people that are holding to the word of God as the early church did, as they devoted themselves to the teaching, uh, to the preaching, to the study, to the reading of God's word. If we devote ourselves to this, I believe, and especially to the message of the gospel, we'll have the mark of great power and great grace. And what will that, what will the outflow of that be? Um, Here, the mark was generosity. There was a, gen- a generosity and a giving. So, uh, who's got John one sixteen? I do. All right, Karen. Ooh, I both yeah, yeah. That feels special. Now, this is talking about where we find grace. Okay, John one sixteen. Yeah. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Say it. Read it one more time. 
and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace yeah my version says from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace you want to find grace and favor it's found in jesus and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace do you need a fresh grace in your life trust in jesus go to the simplicity of trusting in christ now, there is great generosity. They are, we see them selling their possessions. As many who had owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds and they laid them at the apostles' feet. And then that money would be distributed as anyone had need. And then we see a character who will come up later in Acts in verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this character named Barnabas, um, who they renamed him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he went and sold his land and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, that's great generosity. What would motivate a people to be so generous with their stuff? Right? What would motivate selling your lands? Christmas season, right? So we should all sell our stuff and give to the poor, right? That's the Christmas spirit, right? It could be. They thought the Lord was coming back any second, and they wouldn't need it anymore. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, they, thought, um, maybe they thought, man, he's coming soon. I don't need this. Um, probably, a, probably a more, um, probably what we could say is they found true riches. You remember the story that Jesus tells about the man who went out in the field and he found a treasure hidden in the field? What did he do? It wasn't his field, so he went and what did he do? Huh? He went and sold all he had so that he could buy the field, right? When you and I find the treasure of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus and this relationship with Christ, when we really understand that, we'll look at our stuff and we'll be like, this is nothing. This stuff's going to pass away. What I have found lasts forever. Yeah. You know, it's fun to do this when you check out at a gas station or something and randomly pay for the person behind you. Yeah. That's what I do sometimes. That is fun. Um, that, that could be one way to be generous is to randomly pay for a stranger. Um, my encouragement is if you can, slip Jesus' name in there um, so that we you know where the credit goes to. If you can. <laughs> yeah. Jesus gives us a love for each other and for others. Yeah. Yeah, when we experience God's love for us, we love. And we love, and within the church family, we're brothers and sisters. If any of us has a need, it should be natural to care for that need. Um, Because we're a family, bonded together by the blood of Jesus. And this family will last forever. Will last forever. And so there should be a mark of generosity. Wouldn't it be neat? Verse 34 was what churches experienced. There was not a needy person among them. Oh, Lord, let that be the case for us. Let that be the case for us. So let me ask you in this first section, how can you give? If God's grace is on your life, we should be thinking about giving. Not just getting, but giving. It is more blessed to 
give than to receive. How can we give? One way I think we can think about is we have a family who doesn't have their needs. Doesn't have, they, they are falling short on their finances right now as they serve in planning the church. It's one area that I think we can give. If you ask the Lord for opportunities to give, he'll give you some. <laughs> really. I, you want your prayers answered. Try that one. <laughs> um, but know this, you'll never be able to outgive him. God is far more generous than you or I. So we see that God's powerful work in his church in this section, and it's coming out of the testifying to the gospel. It's, it's bonding together this family, and it's, it's moving this love, this supernatural love through the spirit, bonding together this group of people so that there's great grace and great power. Yeah. Yeah, and thank all of you for giving. I know people give here publicly and secretly. Um, thank you for the generosity that you give. Jesus rewards all of that. Um, Jesus rewards us as we give. So now we're going to see how Satan is going to try to overthrow what's happening in the early church in the next section. And it, he does it by means of infiltration. Infiltration. He's going to try to infiltrate the church. And so let's uh, read, start in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Oh, I just want to pause for a moment. What's the first word of the chapter? But. Okay. In contrast, what, what's happening? Something's coming up. Right. He sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have lied not to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Whoa! Who's got the King James? What does it say there? He, gave up the ghost. he fell down and gave up the ghost. That phrase just sticks in my head sometimes. It only shows up a couple times in, script, in the New Testament, actually, that phrase. It gave up the ghost. Another example of this, other than in this passage, is Herod. When Herod didn't give glory to God in Acts chapter 12, he gave up the ghost. Yeah, it's this idea of expiring, right? Breathing, the la breathing his last. Wow! The Lord just put a man to death for lying within the church. Wow. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. So now, remember, we had great grace, great power, great unity, and now great fear come upon them. Because, because of um, what the Lord did to somebody who was just how Satan was trying to overthrow. The young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out. And buried him. Let's keep going. See what happens next. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. 
And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She gave up the ghost. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of this. I don't know if you've ever heard the tale of the infiltration of Troy. Um, The enemies were trying to get into the city and infiltrated it through a particular device. Do you remember what that was? A horse. A horse. I believe the enemies all got inside this horse. And I don't know. I didn't have time to read the full story. But somehow they got that horse. It's like a giant piñata, you know, moving right into the city. And once inside, having infiltrated the city, they can take it over from the inside. This is one way Satan may try to overthrow his church, God's church. By infiltrating through the inside. If he can plant a sin and a thought, and if he can take possession of, or if he can have an influence on someone that's at the church, someone that gathers with the church, if he can find a weakness in someone who would pay him the time of day, he can infiltrate into the church. This warning is throughout the scriptures. Jesus said, watch out for prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Infiltration, like Trojan horse. I found it interesting, like, um, the space was three hours, so she had time to think about it, whether she's going to tell the truth or not. I'm not well, it says that um, not knowing what had happened. Oh, you mean she had time to repent? Yeah, she had time, God gave her time to think about what she was going to tell the apostles. Mm-hmm. Probably in there. Yeah, and perhaps she had questioned, should I continue with this lie about how much money we gave? Perhaps the Holy Spirit was convicting and, and trying to appeal, and she chose to continue. And so I want to point out a couple of things about the infiltration that happens here. Look at Peter, how he addresses Ananias in verse 3. He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, now, what's the pattern that we've been seeing in Acts so far? We're seeing a spirit, the Holy Spirit, fill people. And when he would fill them, what would happen? They would speak forth the truth. The word of God would go forth with boldness. And now we have this picture of Satan. Filling a person, and out comes a lie. Isn't that interesting? Such a direct contrast of what Satan will do from what the Holy Spirit will do. You can tell them by their fruits, right? Now, what happened with Ananias? Now, notice this. He goes down in verse uh, the, uh, half of verse 4. It says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Does anybody have a different version of that phrase? Conceived. 
Conceived, that's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah, the idea in the Greek is he, he put this deed in his heart. Who put it in his heart? He's, he, he puts the responsibility not on Satan, but on Ananias. You see, when Satan comes to tempt us, you and I have a choice of what we do with that. Sometimes a thought or an idea or a suggestion can come. And maybe you can contrive a thought, but you have the opportunity. Do I dwell on this thought? Have you ever found yourself thinking about a sin? And you think, man, that sounds like that'd be really good. You know, and as you think or you center yourself on that sin, it grows until it kind of fills you. Right. I I imagine that this is what happened with Judas, because the Bible says that Judas or that Satan entered Judas. He had a thought and finally it overcame and Satan filled him. Right. So the, the responsibility of what happened is placed on Ananias. For allowing this to happen. Beloved, whenever you have a thought or a suggestion in your mind or in your heart to sin, don't allow it to stay. Put it out. Reject it. Okay? Reject it. Because Satan will seek entrance. You remember the verse in Ephesians that says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and so give Satan a foothold. When you, when you camp out on that anger that you feel with that person, Satan is seeking a foothold, right? So you have to forgive, put it away, repent. And so Satan filled him to lie. Now, there's another really key point about this passage, about what we learn about the Holy Spirit. Um, Look, he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, right? So who did Ananias lie to? He lied to the Holy Spirit when he lied inside the church, when he lied to the apostles, he was really lying to the Holy Spirit. That's striking. You mean that when I sin against a brother or sister in Christ, I could be sinning against God? Yeah. How you treat one another. When you you treat somebody made in the image of God a certain way, it really is a reflection on him. When you hate, that's why John says, you can't love God if you hate your brother. They're interconnected. They're interconnected. But, but notice what he says in verse 4 at the end. You have lied not to man, but to God. Here we have a strong verse that shows us the Holy Spirit is God. He is the Lord. He is God. And we're learning about the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. Something else we learned about the Holy Spirit. He knows our hearts. He knows what is in our hearts. He knows what we contrive or what is conceived in our minds and our hearts. He knows where Satan is trying to infiltrate my life. And he will speak to it. I hope he speaks to it. I hope he will convict of sin in my life. Because that's an evidence that he loves us. When he will speak to that sin in my life. He doesn't want you to be infiltrated by the enemy. He doesn't want the enemy to gain any place or any foothold in your heart. And so when you are rebuked by a brother or a sister in Christ, it may well be the Lord who is loving you. To not allow Satan entrance. Because 
He doesn't ride passenger. He wants to drive, right? He doesn't ride shotgun. He wants to drive because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will not only infiltrate you, he will try to infiltrate the body. Okay, now, question of can a believer be filled with Satan? I don't think that's the right. Um, I think the idea is don't give him any place. Don't give him an inch. He'll take a mile. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is holy. Okay? He's the Holy Spirit. Holy means it's, he's pure and separate from sinners, from sin. Okay? And he, want, he is making us holy. And so we need to be mindful of any way that Satan may try to gain influence in my heart. If I was to look at infiltrations in my life, where would Satan slip the Trojan horse through? What would I allow through? One of the big ones may be the movies that we watch. Movies can be a great way Satan can slip in thoughts and lies and ideologies into my heart. That I gradually begin to believe or to assume without thinking about it. Or books. Um, something the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit deal with you about. But Jesus, guard this body from Satan's infiltration. And thus far the Lord has been gracious to us to do so. Um, yeah. Let's keep moving. So great fear came upon them all. They carried Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, this is interesting. Anybody know Ananias' name literally means God has been gracious. That's what his name means. How ironic that the man whose name means God has been gracious won't be gracious with what he has. God has given him everything. Now, does this mean that we need to all sell all that we have and give it all away? Notice how Peter dealt with him. He wasn't blaming him for not being more generous. Right? It wasn't because he didn't give more. What did it say? He said, um, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He was saying, Ananias, you could have kept it. You had the right to do with it what you wanted. He was in trouble not because of the level of generosity, but because of the lie. About it, Because he was seeking to build himself up and to look great in front of other people. And is that not hypocrisy? Where we hold back part of who we are to try to portray something else before others? The Bible says that such wisdom is demonic. Such wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. Yeah? Shouldn't you have sold it and kept part of it and be honest about what you gave? Yes. And in fact, the Bible says, do not give under compulsion... Or obligation, but willingly what you have determined in your heart. God has different gifts for his people. Some people have a great gift in generosity. And maybe you find, you know what, I just don't feel like I can give more than this. Okay, give what you have determined. Give what you can give cheerfully. God wants you to be cheerful in your giving, right? So if there's this begrudging gift... No, God is glorified by cheerful, willing giving. Just as our Lord Jesus willingly offered himself up for us, we can willingly and with worship offer what we have back to him. Good question. Good question. 
John, you are totally engaged today with this. So, um, Okay, so now we're going to see another picture of God's power working in his church after this. Verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done by, um, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. Now, this could mean a couple of things. It could be saying that none of the rest of the church dare join the apostles. But I think what it's actually saying is no people outside of the church who weren't legit wanted to join the church. After Ananias and Sapphira, you know, I think people would be a little gun-shy after that, right? Ooh, I don't want to fake anything here, you know? These people are deadly. <laughs> um, None of the rest dared join them. And notice signs and wonders were being done regularly. Wow, it's just another day. Signs and wonders being done regularly by who? By who? By the apostles. Now note that pattern. Who was doing the signs and wonders? The apostles were. All right? With Peter being a primary focus in the passage. Peter is a primary focus. This is what Jesus told him. He said, Peter, Simon, we're going to call you Peter which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And so that's why we see so much focus on Peter in the book of Acts, as God had determined to use this simple fisherman um, to spearhead what he was going to do. All right? So people are being saved. Verse 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord and multitudes, both men and women, so that even uh, they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Wow. Wow. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This, Jesus did, wasn't even described as his shadow. Um, now, it doesn't say necessarily that they were healed. I assume that they were from Peter's shadow falling. Jesus didn't even do that. But remember what Jesus also told his disciples. The works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these, you will do. Now notice he said, those who believe in me, the works that I do, you do also. Discussion for another day. But there's so, why, is, why are we seeing this, this the story of great power, and then this Satan's attempt to overthrow, and then we're seeing even more power displayed I think it's showing us that God blesses his church when his church is holy, when his church is pure, when his church is dealing properly with sin, he can bless it. He can add to their number because it is in a healthy place, centering on the right things before him. Now, there's one more section. There's one more attempt to overthrow in this passage. And this uh, now is by the, the leaders, the religious leaders. They throw him in prison. And so we see in verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Notice that again. Filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. All right. Now that's exactly what happened to Jesus. It says that Pilate dis discerned that the religious leaders gave him up because of envy, right? Now they are jealous of the apostles and all that God is doing in uh, the temple. 
and they arrest them. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Man, these guys are unstoppable. These guys, can, they are just pounding through. No jail cell can hold them. God just jailbreak them out of jail. And where did he tell them to go? He didn't tell them to run away. Go back into the temple. Stand and speak all the words of this life. Wow, what a powerful gospel. The Lord wants it to be shared. He wants them to go forth. And so he breaks them out. And they go back into the temple. Man, what guts, these guys. <laughs> but, and so the crazy, and I won't read this section, but in the next verses, it says that when the religious leaders sent to get them out, uh, they come and the doors are closed and the guards are standing guard, and, but nobody is inside. And so um, they come out and explain, and they're like, they're in the temple. Look, uh, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And so they come and they bring them and they question them again. And Peter responds in verse 29. He said, we must obey God rather than men. And now Peter summarizes the gospel that he's been preaching again. And the, and the apostles. Um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now pause before we hit the next statement. It says that God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It seems to me like it's saying that Jesus gives repentance and forgiveness. That repentance is a gift that God gives to us. The opportunity to repent is a gift. And, um, and it comes through the exaltation of Jesus as Lord and Savior that people are able to repent. As, as I was talking with the Lord last night, I felt as if he was showing me that as we exalt Jesus, as we exalt him, the Lord will work among us. As we keep our focus on Jesus, he'll work among us. He'll give repentance and forgiveness of sins. All right? So... <clears throat> Adam and Eve and all their descendants until Moses had the law. They never repented because they didn't understand that they were breaking. And like when Cain killed Abel. Yeah. The murder wasn't a sin because there had been no law. Yeah, that's an interesting discussion. So they would not have understood repentance until the law. Yeah. And then they only did it like once a year when the high priest went in to sacrifice. Well, so you're right. So it truly really wasn't until the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, the, well, and if you go back to verse 3, uh, or chapter 3, verse, the last verse of chapter 3, it says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning you, every one of you, from your wickedness. Jesus was to bring a repentance that was uh, internal, not just external, right? Because he removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He puts a spirit in us and causes us to walk in his ways. 
And I think God is, was preparing his people in the Old Testament for the great grace that was going to come through Jesus. What does it say? Um, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, the Bible says that God overlooked past sins. Um, now, that doesn't mean that everybody was forgiven, right? You can, this is a long, this is a, this is a study. This is a study. The Bible says that God is gracious, that he forgives sin and iniquity, but by, by no means acquit the guilty, okay? And so God is still just, but he's still forgiving in the Old Testament. He is the same. And the right that he had to forgive anyone in the Old Testament was through what was going to happen I mean, thousands of years later, through the shedding blood of Jesus. So every time God forgives in the Old Testament, the basis of his right to do so is through the cross. Um, anybody have another input on that? That's a whole nother, That's We could go another hour on that topic. Yeah. And then, Steve, did you have something? Uh, I was thinking about what she said, and Job was a long time before Moses. Right. And yet he sacrificed for Seems. his kids all the time because he knew that the stuff that they did was not right in God's eyes. So he, whether they sinned or not, he was out there sacrificing for them. Yeah. So we see this example of sacrifice... Because uh, turning away for doing wrong. Okay. Yeah. And Abraham yeah. sacrificed way before Moses. And Noah. And, and Noah. Noah. Even yeah. Noah offered sacrifice. So there, and so, Abel, Cain and Abel offered sacrifice. So there was this understanding way back when that it, sacrifice is required for forgiveness of sin. Right? Um, um, and they didn't have to have the law to know that they yeah. were doing wrong. Because, right. Because... Um, People in Noah's time were held accountable for the wrongs they did. Right. Great point. Great point. They didn't have the law on the tablets. But Romans says that um, God has put a law in the hearts of people who don't have the, the Old Testament code. The law is written on their hearts. Right? And so even those who don't have that law have a law in their conscience, in their hearts, that God judges them. By great, great observation. Great point. Any other thoughts? Okay, great question. I don't feel like I can deal with it fully right now, but that's a great, that's a great thought. The reality is that God's character remains the same mm -hmm. in the old and the new, right? His character is the same. Romans says that he forgives and he has the right to because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So... Um, I just feel overly grateful yes. to be born in a <laughs> right. generation to where we were after the cross. Yes. And yes. I mean, I think, if anything, our generation from the time Christ was crucified and rose from the dead should actually be judged more harshly for not believing. <sighs> I mean, right. that was the greatest event in human history. Right. Yep, absolutely. And that's the right way to carry that, Karen. Jesus said, many righteous men have longed to see what you see. I think that right? we were truly blessed. Yes. And that should wake us up and open our eyes. Wake up and open our eyes. Because um, I would have, have been one of them scoffers. On the flood, they had never even seen rain. They didn't know what it was. 
And um, I would have been right there in that mix, <coughs> partying and having a good old time. Yeah. And what we realize is that God is merciful. Yeah. We don't deserve the grace that he gives us. He is merciful. And we can thank him and worship him that he has allowed us to come in in this day and this time. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Let me just, a uh, couple points, then we're done. Uh, so verse 32 of chapter 5. Peter says, We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this is what we're seeing throughout the book of Acts. They're bearing witness to Jesus who was crucified and rose from the dead. And because they're bearing witness, the Holy Spirit is also bearing witness. Now, who does God give the Holy Spirit to, according to that verse? Those who obey him. Those who obey him. The word in Greek is paith archeo. Paith uh, meaning to be persuaded, archeo, meaning a ruler, to be persuaded by a ruler. The real idea there is one who obeys a ruler or submits to the authority of a ruler. The Holy Spirit is given to us, to those who are persuaded and submitted to Christ's lordship. Christ's lordship. Now, I believe the Spirit is given when we believe the message of the gospel. But I think you and I can have a greater experience of the Holy Spirit with greater submission to the Lord. With greater submission to His Lordship, His authority as ruler and as king. Um, that's important because I think we all need to desire a greater experience of the Spirit. A, a greater intimacy and a greater reliance upon Him. And I believe it will come as we submit to Him. Submit to the Lord and He will exalt you. You know, humble yourself before, under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. Um, that's encouraging for me. God's not withholding the Holy Spirit for the few. Um, he wants to pour him out. He wants to pour him out. And so rather than letting Satan drive, let's let the Holy Spirit drive. Right? Jesus, take the wheel. Um, do not finish the song, but I only give about that much head nod to country songs. So... Um, Okay, so the religious leaders are enraged after Peter says this, and they wanted to kill them. But one person in the council, his name is Gamaliel. Um, Gamaliel was actually the teacher of Paul. Okay, he was a man that was highly respected among all the people. He gives a great point to the whole council and stops them. Okay, and I think this, what he says, really is a perfect conclusion to this section of Acts. Okay, so I think it's actually marked to be a sort of conclusion, in a sense. Okay, he said in verse 35, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis arose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if 
it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Um, so they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them. <laughs> ah, that's good, Gamaliel. Let's beat them. And so they beat them. <laughs> we'll just beat them, you know. We'll just lash them and send them out. So just another day in the Sanhedrin, you know. Um, so they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, apparently knowing that they will, which is just striking how they respond. And they let them go. Verse 41. Now notice how the apostles respond. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Who are these guys? They get beaten and they go out and they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. That I may share in the fellowship of his suffering. To those who suffer today because of the name of Jesus, they experience a unique fellowship with the Lord because they share in his sufferings and they know him in a deeper way. Oh Lord, would you count us worthy? Would you grant to us to not only believe in you, but to suffer for your name's sake? It's a weird thing to ask. We shouldn't desire it. But when it comes, rejoice, for the spirit of glory and of grace rests upon you. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That word preaching is the word evangelizing, preaching the good news that the Christ is is Jesus. Amen. Amen. God's powerful working in his church cannot be overthrown. So submit to his lordship today and the Lord will fill us with the Holy Spirit. Resist sin's infiltration in your life and let his great grace and great power flow through you. How will the Lord enable you to let his grace and power flow through you? How can you be generous This week in this season. Jesus we thank you. And I'm just. Your word's awesome. And your spirit is amazing. Fill us with him. We submit to his lordship now. And we ask Jesus help us to obey you. More and more. To honor you greater and greater. That we would rejoice. In being yours. In your name. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're dismissed. Thanksgiving.